Welcome to the Catholic Frequency. What is confirmation? Well, we know it's one of the seven sacraments of the Catholic Church, but what exactly does it mean? Confirmation is a sacrament that bestows the Holy Spirit upon the recipient through the laying on of hands. It's a sacrament of initiation, and it can only be done one time. It's very distinguishable from the sacrament of baptism, and it accomplishes something different altogether. What it means to be confirmed is to receive the Holy Spirit in such a way that includes the reception of seven particular gifts, which we'll get to in just a bit. Is Confirmation Biblical? The New Testament mentions confirmation several times and implies its necessity elsewhere. The key passages are Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, Acts 8, verses 14 through 18, Acts 19, 5 and 6, and Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2. In the opening passages of Acts, before Jesus ascends to heaven, he tells the apostles that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. But this is after they've all been baptized. So he couldn't have been talking about the Holy Spirit coming to them through baptism. He's talking about another form of receiving the Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, we are told of the people of Samaria and that they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then the apostles laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. This is undeniably describing a separate event from baptism that involves the laying on of hands, a physical act, and the bestowal of the Holy Spirit. Thus, it is another sacrament altogether. The passage makes it clear that the Spirit was conferred by the laying on of the apostles' hands. More and more, it becomes obvious that this act is one done by the church, not just anyone. In Acts 19, verses 5 and 6, Paul baptizes some Ephesian disciples, and afterwards, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Again, the Spirit did not come until a separate laying on of hands, which occurred after baptism. In Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2, this is perhaps the most important passage of all in regards to confirmation. Paul exhorts his readers to leave the elementary teachings of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the acts that led to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Paul makes it abundantly clear and obvious that not only are baptism and confirmation separate things, but that they are together elementary teachings of the faith. They're mentioned in this successive list of the stages of a Christian's development and journey through life toward heaven. Repentance, faith, baptism, confirmation, resurrection, and finally, judgment. Maybe confirmation wasn't taught so explicitly in the New Testament because it was regarded as so elementary that every Christian would already know about it. After all, not much is taught about baptism beyond what Jesus said. Neither are explained in detail because there would be no reason for it. The letters were for expanding upon the teachings of the apostles and clarifying things. 
They weren't written as the initial guide to Christianity. Their purpose from the beginning was to guide Christians in conjunction with the oral tradition and teaching being spread by the apostles. With this in mind, it makes perfect sense that baptism and confirmation wouldn't be explained very thoroughly and that they together were regarded as elementary teachings of the faith, which could be moved past to grow into theological maturity. The laying on of hands included in this list is also not the other two distinct forms of laying on of hands which are described in the New Testament, ordination and healing. Neither of those are performed on every single Christian, and neither of them would be considered elementary parts of the faith, so they don't belong on this list. This fact, along with the context of its pairing with baptism, means this passage is surely referencing confirmation, not priestly ordination or the anointing of the sick. What does the Catechism of the Catholic Church say about confirmation? In paragraph 1316, it says confirmation perfects baptismal grace. It is the sacrament which gives the Holy Spirit in order to root us more deeply in the divine fellation, incorporate us more firmly into Christ, strengthen our bond with the church, associate us more closely with her mission, and help us bear witness to the Christian faith in words accompanied by deeds. In paragraph 1302, it says it is evident from its celebration that the effect of the sacrament of confirmation is the special outpouring of the Holy Spirit as once granted to the apostles on the day of Pentecost. In the next paragraph, it says from this fact, confirmation brings an increase and deepening of baptismal grace. It roots us more deeply in the divine fellation, which makes us cry, Abba, Father, It unites us more firmly to Christ. It increases the gifts of the Holy Spirit in us. It renders our bond with the church more perfect. It gives us a special strength of the Holy Spirit to spread and defend the faith by word and action as true witnesses of Christ, to confess the name of Christ boldly, and never to be ashamed of the cross. Recall then that you have received the spiritual seal, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of right judgment and courage, the spirit of knowledge and reverence, the spirit of holy fear in God's presence. Guard what you have received. God the Father has marked you with his sign. Christ the Lord has confirmed you and placed his pledge, the Spirit, in your hearts. Scripture defines the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Listed all together in Isaiah 11, 1 through 3, they are wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of God. Isaiah 11, 1 through 3 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This passage describes Jesus most of all. But as he is our model in the spiritual journey, during our journey we come to receive lesser versions of the same gifts in order to be more like him.
As Thomas Aquinas summarized, wisdom is both the knowledge of and judgment about divine things and the ability to judge and direct human affairs according to divine truth. Understanding is penetrating insight into the very heart of things, especially those higher truths necessary for our eternal salvation, in effect the ability to see God. Counsel allows a man to be directed by God in matters necessary for his salvation. Fortitude denotes a firmness of mind in doing good and in avoiding evil, particularly when it is difficult or dangerous to do so, and the confidence to overcome all obstacles, even deadly ones, by virtue of the assurance of everlasting life. Knowledge is the ability to judge correctly about matters of faith and right action so as to never wander from the straight path of justice. Piety is principally revering God with filial affection, paying worship and duty to God, paying due duty to all men on account of their relationship to God, and honoring the saints and not contradicting Scripture. The Latin word pietas denotes the reverence that we give our Father and to our country. Since God is the Father of all, the worship of God is also called piety. Fear of God is, in this context, filial, or chaste fear, whereby we revere God and avoid separating ourselves from Him, as opposed to servile fear, where we fear punishment. What did the church fathers say about confirmation? Theophilus of Antioch said, Are you unwilling to be anointed with the oil of God? It is on this account that we are called Christians, because we are anointed with the oil of God. That was written in the year 181. Tertullian wrote, After coming from the place of washing, we're thoroughly anointed with a blessed unction, from the ancient discipline by which those in the priesthood were accustomed to be anointed with a horn of oil ever since Aaron was anointed by Moses. So also with us, the unction runs on the body and profits us spiritually in the same way that baptism itself is a corporal act by which we are plunged in water while its effect is spiritual in that we are freed from sins. After this, the hand is imposed for a blessing invoking and inviting the Holy Spirit, signed so the soul may be fortified. Hippolytus wrote, The bishop, imposing his hands on them, shall make an invocation, saying, O Lord God, who made them worthy of the remission of sins through the Holy Spirit's washing under rebirth, send into them your grace, so that they may serve you according to your will. For there is glory to you, to the Father and the Son, with the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Church, both now and through the ages of ages. Then, pouring the consecrated oil into his hand and imposing it on the head of the baptized, he shall say, I anoint you with the holy oil in the Lord, the Father Almighty, in Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Signing them on the forehead, he shall kiss them and say, The Lord be with you. He that has been signed shall say, and with your spirit, thus shall he do to each. That's from the Apostolic Tradition, A.D. 215. Cyprian of Carthage wrote, It is necessary for him that has been baptized also to be anointed, 
so that by his having received chrism, that is the anointing, he can be the anointed of God and have in him the grace of Christ. Cyprian also said, Some say in regard to those who were baptized in Samaria, that when the apostles Peter and John came there, only hands were imposed on them so they might receive the Holy Spirit, and that they were not rebaptized. But we see, dearest brother, that this situation is no way pertains to the present case. Those in Samaria who had believed had believed in the true faith, and it was done by the deacon Philip, whom those same apostles had sent there, that they had been baptized inside in the church. Since then, they had already received a legitimate and ecclesiastical baptism. It was not necessary to baptize them again. Rather, that only which was lacking was done by Peter and John. The prayer having been made over them and hands having been imposed on them, the Holy Spirit was invoked and poured out upon them. This is even now the practice among us, so that those who were baptized in the church then are brought to the prelates of the church through our prayer and the imposition of hands. They receive the Holy Spirit and are perfected with the seal of the Lord. Cyril of Jerusalem wrote, After you had come up from the pool of the sacred streams, there was given chrism, the antitype of that with which Christ was anointed, and this is the Holy Spirit. But beware of supposing that this is ordinary ointment. For just as the bread of the Eucharist, after the invocation of the Holy Spirit, is simple bread no longer, but the body of Christ, so also this ointment is no longer plain ointment, nor, so to speak, common after the invocation. Further, it is the gracious gift of Christ, and it is made fit for the imparting of his Godhead by the coming of the Holy Spirit. This ointment is symbolically applied to your forehead and to your other senses. While your body is anointed with the visible ointment, your soul is sanctified by the Holy and life-giving Spirit. Just as Christ, after his baptism and the coming upon him of the Holy Spirit, went forth and defeated the adversary, so also with you, after holy baptism and the mystical chrism, having put on the panoply of the Holy Spirit, you are to withstand the power of the adversary and defeat him, saying, I am able to do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Cyril goes on to quote David, saying, You have anointed my head with oil. With oil he anointed your head, your forehead, in the God-given sign of the cross, so that you may become that which is engraved on the seal, a holy thing of the Lord. In reviewing these passages of Scripture and the sections of the Catechism and the writings of the Church Fathers, we can't help but come to the conclusion that there is an amazing difference confirmation makes in the life of a Christian. It is often looked at as sort of a graduation into Catholic adulthood, or worse even, an end to education in the faith. And this is a total misunderstanding. The sacrament is called confirmation in the West because it confirms our faith and renews our baptismal vows. The last thing it's meant to do is to cease our interest in the faith. It is an anointing pointing toward a future of a life in the faith, one that is filled with the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are supposed to be actualized in our actions. Remember that St. Paul called confirmation an elementary teaching of the faith, 
and called us to grow into maturity by diving deeper into the faith. How do we do that? Well, we have to go further than just attending Mass once a week. In addition to reading Scripture daily, we can study the Catechism, read more of the writings of the Church Fathers, and make our growth into Christian maturity a top priority. And we'll know we've grown into that maturity when the gifts of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of God are evident in our life.